Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. Hopefully you loved that last episode, and I am so excited to bring this one to you. I've been waiting for this. This date has been on the calendar for, oh gosh, a month, six weeks, something like that, and I've been dying to get into this. So before we jump in, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it during the podcast, but I'm getting ready to work on something scary. Some of you guys may have got notes from me. I will have thrown something into our Facebook group. I'm working on a course. So guys, anything that you've got that you've either worked through or something you're currently working on and want to get better at, uh, just shoot me a note. Let me know. Um, I don't know exactly what I'm going to create, but uh, I got a whole bunch of people around me looking to help. And thank you for any input you have as we uh, do the research side and get into course creation. So thank you guys for your help. And with that, uh, some of the topics that I'm excited to talk about. I've got Jay Hewitt here with me, and oh my goodness, his story is unbelievable. So uh got a note and says, hey, you want to connect with Jay? And I said, heck yeah, I do. So Jay ran an Ironman, biked, swam the whole thing, hundred, you know, the 141, not the half one. Uh, <laughs> he's had cancer, <laughs> big time cancer. We'll talk about that. And then, oh, by the way, I'm like, is this guy Christian or what? Like this connection happens to be a pastor. I'm like, get out of here. Like this guy's too good to be true as far as a a guest for the journey of a Christian dad podcast. But with that said, Jay, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here with us. We've got Jay Hewitt. And thank you, man. I'm so stoked to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And guys, Jay, is uh, he's got a book. It's coming out in the middle of November. It's called I Am Weak, I Am Strong, Building a Resilient Faith for a Resilient Life. So I've got a copy of the book that I've uh, got to have the advanced version of. So thank you, Jay. Appreciate you getting that over to me. And yeah, let's just jump in. Let's just jump in. So you're, you know, you're a pastor, married, uh, daughter hero. Like, tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I've been married for 20 years now, and my daughter in a row. Is, <laughs> in a row. Yes, uh, beautiful wife Natalie, and she's uh, just as brilliant as she is beautiful. She is uh, dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Hope International University. She's a literature professor, which is where our daughter's name comes from. So her name is Hero, H E R O. Uh, but not so much as in superhero, but more as in the uh, female character in Much Ado About Nothing from the Shakespeare play. So my uh, my wife is a Shakespearean scholar, which means she is much smarter than I am, but she is also a lot of fun. So we have uh, we have a lot of fun together as a family of three. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's us right now. We're in Southern California. That's great. That's great. So at what point um, at what point did you? In your life, did you turn your life over to Christ? I was 14 years old. I, I came out of a pretty hectic home environment and uh, just trying to get out of the house as much as possible. So some friends invited me to uh, summer camp 
And they lured me there by saying, there's a lot of good looking girls. And uh, <laughs> what they didn't tell me is that it was going to be very expensive to get there. Oh, um, wow. So I, I asked my parents, they said, no, but my friend's parents decided to pony up and they paid my way. And I got to, to summer camp and my friends weren't lying. There are a lot of good looking girls there. And so I had a great time that week. And at the, towards the end of the week, the, the speaker shared the gospel and I literally had never heard the gospel. I, I heard about Jesus and something about, you know, death and resurrection and the cross. I, I kind of knew those basic things, but he just laid it out so succinctly and it, it just made sense. There was no pizzazz to it. It was just the gospel, the story. And um, after I heard it that night, I was on my bunk. It was probably 2 a.m. I just couldn't sleep. I was thinking about life and I was thinking about why I couldn't couldn't function in my home, why everything was such a mess. And I just had this thought of, all right, God, if if you love me enough to give your son for me, and Jesus, if you're if you're willing to give your life for me, you're trustworthy. And I need that right now. I need parental figures. I need a a, a father figure that I can trust that has my back that will do anything for me. And so I thought, okay. The other piece was my life was going downhill pretty quickly. Like I was about to rack up one of those uh, extreme testimonies of, uh, yeah, you know, I really want this dark route. I was heading down that road and I just, I knew where that was going to end. And I, so I just, in my first prayer ever, I said, all right, God, I can trust you. I don't know how to live my life. So take my life and teach me how to live it. And that's, that's the moment I became a Christian on my bunk at 2 a.m. And it stuck. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit have just developed me over the years um, and have given me new spiritual family along the way. That happened very quickly as a teenager, got involved with the church. Some great men stepped into my life to give me a new vision of life, a new moral compass. And just they discipled me well, really well. And so God was very gracious to give me that right when I stepped into the faith. I've got a question, but before I ask it, back up. Uh, dysfunctional childhood. Tell me about mom and dad and that that part. Yes, well, I I love my my mom and dad both deceased now. Okay. Um, my dad was a Vietnam vet, and religion just um, was not a good thing in his sight. You know, he he I don't want to speak for him, but for whatever reason, uh, religion was not good. It's something to avoid. Um, and then my mom. Uh, she was a she was a hippie. My mom and dad got together right after Vietnam. They're both hippies, and with that comes a lot of drugs and and things of that that nature, and which I'm sure was was fun at the time. But over time, uh, that can create some real problems in the home, ongoing dysfunctions. And so, my my mom was so loving, um, and yet struggled with clinical depression uh, from her childhood. And so it just made made life difficult in the in the home setting, um, yeah. And so yeah, that's yeah. that's where I existed at the time. Yeah. So you, your mom was a hippie, and it made me think about Jesus Revolution and how they were seeking the truth in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and the daughter in that. So we got to the end, and the truth wasn't actually there, and we had to look somewhere else. We started looking to Christ, and. Yes. You know. And and my mom actually became a believer. No um, way. Yeah, probably 5 years after I became a believer, she she came to me and she said, "Where where'd you get this peace? 
I, I need what you have. And so I shared the gospel with her and right there in our backyard, she accepted Christ. I baptized her the next day in my friend's pool and um, she experienced his saving grace. It was, it was pretty incredible. That is the craziest thing, guys. So Jay baptized his mom. And just the other day I was talking with a, a pastor of a church and he's like, oh yeah, anybody can baptize people. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, I wasn't a pastor then, but it, it was just kind of the raw, real following Jesus, where I didn't know the rules. I, I didn't know the organization and the, the hierarchy or anything like that. It was just, well, Jesus wants us to share his good name and Jesus calls us to baptize people. So that's what we're going to do. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't even know that there's like baptismals and things like that at that point. There's some water in my friend's backyard. Let's go. So it was, I don't know, kind of pure, innocent, innocent would, would probably be the better yeah. word for that. That, that yeah. time of, of my mom finding Jesus was very innocent, very sweet and, and very good. Yeah, that's great. That, so the crazy thing I heard was your dad said, no, absolutely not. Like, don't go that way. Yes. Yeah. And he was, he was actually um, un, unhappy when I, when I told him that yes. I was, a Christian. and you know, it's, it's interesting. So in my dad's defense, when he first told me that I'm, you know, I'm 14 years old, 15 years old, somewhere around that. And, and he's like, no, nah, that's, that's not good. He said, Jay, you got mass hypnotized. And that just seems so ridiculous to me. And I was like, dad. And at, at that point, you know, you're a teenager, you don't know anything, dad. And I just tuned him out. Then, uh, you know, years later, I'm a youth pastor and I'm at camp and I'm watching this band, this amazing band, just with awesome music, stirring everybody up. And then there's this speaker who really knows how to like, like stir emotion in these kids. And then there's this altar call and all these kids are going forward. Half of them don't know what they're going forward for. Right. And I'm watching right. this as a youth pastor going like, this is what my dad, this is what my dad assumed I what happened to me. However, what he didn't know is it was 2 a.m. alone on my bunk trying <laughs> to figure out family life and trying to figure out like how to, how to do life. And so, um, yeah, initially my, my dad was not excited about it. And then when, um, when I decided to go to school to become a pastor, he really wasn't excited about that. Um, but over time, over time, we had a lot of really great um, conversations about faith. And when, when he saw it wasn't a phase, and when he saw the, the good work that I was doing as a pastor, um, the, the work in the community, leadership development, things like that, I earned his respect. And we had a, a great uh, relationship, mutual relationship that way. So it had come a long way. But in the beginning, it was a, I was the outcast. I was for sure the outcast of the family. Yeah, that's great. I, you hear stories and you're like, no way, I can't believe that would be true. Or as Christians or, you know, however, and you pick up different things from different people and that one stuck out of, wow, <laughs> wow, that would be tough. And made me think about in the, in the gospel of Mark, he talks about, uh, I believe help me with my unbelief. And that could have been one where you're like, well, well, maybe dad's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a influential figure in yeah. your life. Um, but there, this weird switch happens in adolescence where now your friends are more influential than your parents, right? Mm -hmm. And I was right in that switch time. And my friends that took me to church camp, uh, they were influencing me. And uh, so I went to church with them every Sunday and they were a big part of my discipleship as well. So I, I often, when I hear that community or friends or um, a figure stepping into somebody's life and inviting them to church and then we can go to lunch later or 
whatever it is, it's like so cool and how you can bring others into community. And once they're there, they stick around. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, thinking about fatherhood in the church, the church family, fatherhood extends beyond just your immediate family. And I had a lot of church fathers that were pouring into me. I didn't live with them. They weren't, you know, they weren't there at everything, but I looked to them for wisdom and for guidance. And um, I think all of us now as fathers, as Christian fathers in the church, we get that privilege as well of pouring into the the different men, uh, young men that are in our, our church. And God uses that in powerful ways. So at some point, starting a church, you got some horrible news. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard the the three words nobody wants to hear. You have cancer. And then followed by even more devastating words, it is terminal. So I, I found out that I had a, a brain tumor right in the center of my brain. And it was about the size of a ping pong ball in a very high risk area of my brain. And uh, they determined that it was cancerous and that it was terminal, that there's no cure for it. Uh, I would have a longer shot at life if I went through the brain surgery and, and tried to amputate that uh, that tumor. But that was a very risky move that I had to decide if I was going to go forward with it or not. Because in, in my particular uh, brand of brain cancer, the tumor isn't something that was extra. It was infected brain tissue. And so a brain surgeon would have to go in and remove a ping pong size portion of my brain that was right in the center, which is, they call it the eloquent cortex. It's what kind of makes you a person. It's where all your inter interpersonal uh, abilities come from, language, movement, being able to recognize people's faces, <laughs> ability to, to filter your thoughts before they just come out. And uh, so all of those things were at risk by going- So you're, also, so you're a church pastor- yeah, could you imagine no, no filter as a no filter on your thoughts like that yeah. blew me away when like holy cow like yeah, yeah. and it yeah there seems like there's some pastors that uh, maybe they are suffering from that um, but I did not want to be one of those and so it was scary and and then on top of that um, you could die of, yeah it's it's guard the interior part of your brain is guarded by some major arteries that if the the surgeon nicked one of those arteries you could have a stroke you could die um right there on the table so scary stuff man scary stuff so i would think as you're wrestling with this choice you think i don't know i got a year to live i got two years to live i got three years to live or i could do the surgery it might have no days to live or the chance and hope for a longer life yes yeah but not a dramatically longer life and that's the kind of tricky thing in all of this is um, it's not like if the surgery is successful, you're all good, all in the clear, um, clean bill of health. It, it's not like that. It's okay. If we remove all of the tumor that extends your life, but the cancer is still there and the prognosis and the diagnosis would tell you that the, the cancer is going to form new tumors and it's only a matter of time and they can, to some accuracy, uh, predict how much time until more tumor returns. And with, with the placing of my tumor, um, they know it's pretty good chance that that becomes inoperable. At this point, I have, I've had two brain surgeries and I'm hoping and praying for no more. Um, but we'll see. So at that time where you chose the surgery and you hear about the news, there's, um, you know, obviously worry, uh, there's the Bible saying, don't be afraid, trust me. There's, um, 
why me? God, why me? You know, yeah. tell me now. Uh, and I know you've got some thoughts around around that. And obviously you lived through some thoughts around that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me address why me in just a second. I, I just okay. I want to share about one thing that you, you asked me or or mentioned, like the the fear. And, yes. Yeah. Please do. Please do. Yes. Because this is just one of those crazy God stories. So um, uh, mental illness runs in my family, uh, depression, anxiety. Uh, I have not been immune to those things. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to uh, really manage that with exercise to a really great high degree. However, uh, when you get news like that, I expected my anxiety to spike especially the night before surgery. And this it's so insane that the night before surgery, I felt good. I enjoyed being with people and I slept really well. I didn't have anxiety and it's not of me. I am typically an anxious person. However, I just, I felt like I got to experience that moment in the gospels where Jesus calms the storm and he just commands the waves to be still and they obey. I felt like Jesus did that to my soul. He just commanded my soul to be still and it, it obeyed. And it was, it was such a wonderful gift because as I'm not knowing what's going to be on the other side of surgery, I was able to really enjoy time with my family. I was able to have really clear prayers and connected prayers. And then going into surgery, um, I, I wasn't overly afraid. Now, before, when I first got the word that uh, brain surgery was necessary, they also told me that I was going to need to be awake for that brain surgery. And that really scared me. Oh. And, I, and I asked the surgeon, what happens if I have a panic attack when I'm strapped down to a table, my head in a vice stuck to a table? What happens if I have an anxiety attack? And my, my surgeon, man, he's world-class. And, and he just very calmly said, it's never happened on my table. It's never happened on my table. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, but the the spirit of God calmed me and took away that anxiety. And so it's it's so interesting because a lot of these um, scriptures about uh, fear not and lay your burdens at the, the feet of the Christ, all that kind of Christian cliche almost. I think sometimes as pastors, we do a disservice to our people by treating them as commands versus treating them as pointing to God and his attributes that he is trustworthy. And so, you know, I've got, got a young daughter and she, she's not the greatest sleeper in the world. We have to help her, um, with bedtime and she's, she's anxious. She's scared. And when I, when I tell her hero, you've got nothing to be afraid of hero. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm not commanding her to do that. I'm not like, what's wrong with you? Stop, stop worrying. Stop being afraid. What I'm saying to her is, Hero, I'm right here. You don't need to be afraid. I'm with you. Don't worry. I got, I'm with you. And I feel like that's, that's in the same tone that the scriptures speak to us of God, God is with you. He's trustworthy. You don't need to be afraid. And I had this sense heading into the surgery. I had this sense that whatever awaits me on the other side, my my quality of life could have diminished greatly, but as long as Jesus is with me, I can handle it. I'll be okay. And I think that's where a lot of the, the calm came from. So anyway, Dan, I, it's something I, I typically don't talk about much on, on podcasts. It's in the book, um, but I, I don't know. You just stirred that in me, so I wanted to share. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad, I'm glad that you did. My friend Mike just went through a cancer surgery also, 
And he described that feeling as well that you just described. Uh, He's like, there's people around me that are a little anxious, a little, you know, moving a little quick, you know, darting their eyes around a little bit, but I'm good. Like, praise God. I love that's how he works, right? Yeah. He's like, not all the time for everyone, but I didn't know this was how I was going to feel on the night before surgery and the day of surgery. However, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, ah, like we're all praying for peace and, you know, comfort and success and everything for him. But to hear him say that, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And, you know, something that as Christians we have and non Christians, you know, I feel, you know, so often when I run into somebody that's lacking hope or, you know, that, that trusting God, I'm like, you know, I need to pray for them and, you know, help them, uh, help them along in their journey. So uh, I'm glad, glad you stayed on that for a little bit. Cause that one's, that one's a big one. Yeah. But, but you, you asked a really big question, the, the, why me, you know, everybody has that feeling when something like this happens, something tragic, big crisis, you can't help, but ask why me, what's going on. And um, at the end of all of this, as I look back, the the best I can, that's an impossible question to answer, by the way, uh, kind of like the, the the question of evil. It, it's, you can't give a satisfactory answer to that, but this is, this is what has satisfied my heart and my soul is knowing that when, when I pray and I ask God, why me? He responds by saying, me too, me too. And I've experienced that in in many different ways, but that's part of the beauty of having an empathetic high priest who lived this life and suffered, lived a suffering life. Um, And he knows what that feels like. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The anxiety leading to the cross. He he gets those things. And so when, when I cry out, God, why me? I can, I can hear him speaking back to my heart. Me too. I've been there and I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so in the beginning, that's the end of the journey in the beginning of the journey, when I'm like, why me? Um, it it was interesting where my, where my heart was pulled to, um, my, my heart was pulled to turn to God and not away from him. And that's not always the the case. I've been a pastor long enough. I've seen how a crisis like this can pull people away from their faith. But, uh, for whatever reason, I, my, my soul was stirred to turn to God. And I asked him, two very, very important questions. This this is what set me down the trajectory that created this just amazing God story. Uh, I prayed and I said, God, what are you doing? And it wasn't one of those like angry accusatory, like, God, what are you doing? You can't do this to me. Why me? Not that, but more like, God, what are you doing? You, you just... You just used me to plant a new church that's thriving, it's growing, it's exciting. Your name's being prayed. New people are finding finding your son. Why stop this right now? God, after after a long time of not being able to have a child, heroes here. Why after all that time and in a in a world where there are a lot of absent fathers, why in the world would you take her father from her? And I was just confused. And so I said, God, what are you doing? And then he spoke. He spoke to me, not not in an audible voice. And I've I've I can only claim that God has spoken to me just a handful of times, but enough where I feel like I can discern his voice compared to my thoughts. And in this instance, the Holy Spirit spoke to me just as Jesus promised he would. He he took me to scripture. 
reminded me of the teachings of Jesus. And, and he, he took my mind, my heart, my soul, all to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. And Paul's in a very s- similar situation there. So Paul has this thorn in his flesh. He, he's vague about it. We're not quite sure what that is, but he prays for it to be removed. And he prays three times, which basically just means he prayed it through and through. He, just, he mm-hmm, prayed mm-hmm. it until there's nothing more to pray about. He prayed it completely. And after praying, after praying, God said, no, God did not remove it. But the spirit of Jesus was kind enough to explain to him, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness or best demonstrated in weakness. And then after Paul heard that, he concludes, well, then when I'm weak, then I'm strong which of course, that's where the title of, of my book comes from. It's this pivotal moment in my life that uh, God was so good to me to be gracious enough to explain to me, just like he did, Paul, all right, Jay, the answer is no, and that's okay, because my grace is going to be sufficient, and my power is going to work through your weakness. And my soul literally was satisfied to the point where I could say, just like, like Paul, okay, this is the weakest I've ever been, and I'm about to get weaker, but when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So I asked God, what are you doing? And he answered me, I'm going to demonstrate my power through your weakness. Through your weakness, you're actually going to be strong. And then the second the second thing that I prayed that I asked God was, how can I join you? How mm. can I cooperate? If you've told me what you're doing in me, how can I cooperate with that? How can I work with you? And that's where I, I call it a nudge from the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I heard the voice of God, you know, through the Holy Spirit, through scripture, but this was more of a nudge of like, this might be crazy, of I had this thought of, well, what if I do something at my weakest point that I never thought I could possibly do? Even at my prime, at my best, what if I try something that I never thought I could do and I do it at my weakest point? And then I got this, this little nudge, this little idea that it wasn't on my bucket list. It, was, it wasn't even on my radar. I thought, what if I, what if I attempt Iron Man while going through radiation and chemotherapy? After brain surgery, Right. And then when I start radiation chemo, what if I train and attempt Iron Man in that moment? And I hadn't thought about Iron Man since I was 10 years old and I saw it on TV. And when I saw it on TV, I just simply thought, that's not for me. Right. <laughs> Those are elite athletes and I am not. Right. I wasn't a triathlete when I had this thought. I, I'd never even ran a mile. I mean, not sorry. I'd ran a mile. I'd never even ran a marathon up to that point. So to think that I was going to swim two and a half miles then ride 112 miles. And then when I'm done with that, just throw a marathon on top of it. That It, it just, it wasn't in my, my thinking that that was possible. Um, but I thought, okay, if it's true that I'm, I'm actually strong when I'm weak, what if I try it? And I also knew like, okay, but th- there's different levels. Like maybe, maybe this is just a spiritual level that we're talking here. And like, okay, when we're, when we're weak, we're actually, we've got this spiritual strength, but I thought, what if I just let this metaphor play out and give a, a physical manifestation of that spiritual truth. And so I, I call that a nudge from the Holy Spirit. And oh, I and was then, I was going to ask, uh, w- what parking lot were you in when this nudge happened? <laughs> well, I was at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Like anybody <laughs> else, when you get bad news, you got to go buy some saturated fat. So I, I went to Dunkin' Donuts. I, I, I find that to be a key part of the story because... Some other guys may have found themselves in the parking lot of a donut shop at some point, like, and, and, you know, you got the, the donut Sunday and all those type things. And so 
to go iron man makes sense while i'm in a dunkin donuts parking lot like guys yeah yeah and you know i think we all have that dunkin donuts moment whether you're in in the dunkin donuts or wherever you find yourself it's that moment where you you weren't planning on that moment to happen you, you didn't seek it out i wasn't in a church parking lot yeah i was just trying to soothe my my pain um eat something pleasurable to help me deal with life and and god showed up and, yeah you, and- you weren't running 10 miles on a treadmill you weren't doing tabatas you didn't have a personal trainer at that time no no i was just trying to make sense of things and yeah so then i got that nudge went home i asked my wife who is like i i started off this show she's wise she's smart and i thought she was going to shoot it down but she said i think that's a good idea and then i went and i asked my pastor and i said hey what do you think about this and he said, I think that's good. I thought, uh-oh, what, what am I getting myself into right here? But I thought, okay, this is it. I think that this is from the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go with this. And I told my daughter, hey, I'm I'm going to do an Ironman. I'm dedicating my race to you. This is a grand gesture of love. And why it was so important to me is because this huge obstacle in front of me, I, I saw an opportunity. I, I saw an opportunity to show my daughter what resilient faith looks like by modeling t- to her a resilient life, right? Because if, if I would have turned away from God in the parking lot and walked away from my faith, my daughter Hero would have never seen what was to come next. But because I turned to him, because I, I didn't let go of my faith, I didn't let go of the hope in Jesus, that resilient faith, I wanted her to see it. And I wanted her to see how it produces a resili- resilient life. And so I thought Iron Man's a way to do that, where I can say to her, honey, Anything is possible with God. Even when you're weak with God, you're you're strong, but you got to hold on to the hope of Jesus because life's going to knock you down. Because every parent wants to tell their kid anything's possible. For us that have faith, we want to let, you know, go that extra mile of insight and say anything's possible with God. Mm-hmm. And then I had this opportunity to say anything's possible with God, even when you get knocked down. And don't be surprised when you get knocked down. When God puts dreams in your heart, your enemy is going to knock you down. Life is going to hit you hard, but don't give up. Hold on to the hope of Jesus. Get up, stay strong, press on. And I wanted to be able to look her in the eye and say, if I if I can do it, you can do it. So here's this incredible opportunity that kind of unfolded in the course of a half hour when I was, you know, <laughs> praying, talking to my wife, talking to my pastor, and then talking to my daughter. It just all came together. I'm like, oh, this this could be a God thing. I don't know if my body can actually do this, you know, with chemotherapy pumping through the effects of radiation, can a body actually survive 140 miles of racing in one day? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm I'm going to give it a shot. Wow. What if what if you at some point during training or at some point during the race that you know 40 miles in stuff goes wrong and you only accomplish 40? Like the I set a goal, but I, I, the fear of not setting the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Fear can be a huge weakness, but when you feel like there's this combination of calling and confidence, I think the intersection of calling and confidence gives us great resilience. And the great thing for us that follow Jesus is our confidence doesn't need to be in us. Our confidence is in Jesus. I wasn't confident that my weak body was strong enough to finish the race. But at this point, I I was seeing this as a calling on my life a new assignment. So I was no longer leading this church. I was out on medical leave, but now I'm leading my daughter. So I have this calling and then I have this confidence because in scripture, it tells us 
that God loves to demonstrate his power through our weakness. And so I've got this, this confidence and this calling to take a, a risk, to not let fear of failure stop me. So I, I have the, the, uh, the confidence and calling to, to start this process. But as you mentioned, things always come up. And man, there were, there were so many ways, so many times along this journey that I thought my body can't do this. This was a stupid idea. It wasn't from the Holy Spirit. Obviously, I misread this one. You know, like started training first day of radiation. I ran one mile. Um, then I just kept adding to it. And I got to 10 miles and I had a seizure. And I thought, oh, my body can't do this. But I got back on, kept going. Then I was, when I was cycling, I got to 40 miles and uh, my back just seized up. Part of mm. the chemotherapy causes back strains. And I'm like, okay, if I can only get to 40, I need to get to 115. This is, there's just no way I can do this. Um, but I felt like I got a calling. I got a God. I'm going to keep pressing on. And, and pretty soon it was slow, but I was able to push past that and continue going. Uh, same with swimming. You know, I swam 100, 100 meters and I was like, oh man, I, I can't go any further. And then I thought, but I need to do 3,700 meters. There's no way. Um, but kept pushing on, had great people around me. That is so key. There's strength in the community of saints. That's one of the things I, I write. One of the the big takeaways is it's by how we carry one another's burdens that we can go further. And so great people uh, from my church congregation really supported me and got me through, got me through the miles that I was running, got me through the miles I was cycling, taught me how to swim, things like that. And then even on the, even on the race day, you know, 115, 120 miles into the race, 20 miles left to go, uh, everything went wrong. And I was pretty, pretty certain I wasn't going to finish my body shut down and I, I wasn't going to finish. And that was that moment of resilience. So resilience isn't just grit, grit, don't quit. That is a part of resilience, but it's not actually when you go into the traditional definition of resilience, it's, it's flexibility. It's being pliable, being able to bounce back. And so I had this moment in the race where I realized I'm not going to finish. It's over. I prayed for help. I prayed for strength. But the reality of it is when at that point, I wasn't able to keep anything down. And there's no way a human being can run a full marathon without taking a sip of water. And right, especially right. if they've already gone 120 miles, they're already depleted. depleted. Um, I was just like, I'm going to cramp up. I've got chemotherapy in my body that causes cramping. If I've got no nutrition, it's it's over. And I had to I had to switch. I had to be pliable, and I had to to redefine what was going on. And and so I, I took on this mantra to keep because I I wasn't going to quit. I'm going to go as long as I can until my body seizes up. I'm just going to keep going because I want to look my daughter in the eye. And even if I if I don't make it to the finish line, I want to be able to say to her, I gave everything to make it back to you. I gave my all to make it back to you. So I, I changed my, my mantra to, you've got nothing to prove, just an example to set. And as I'm running, I'm just saying to myself over and over, I've got nothing to prove, just an example to set. Nothing to prove, just an example to set. Which, I mean, I had a lot to prove. I had told a lot of people were rallying around <laughs> me. You know, I, I had 150 people waiting for me at the finish line. I had a documentary crew that was filming all of this. I had Iron Man's broadcast crew was on motorcycles right next to me, following me through the race. I had a lot to prove. That that's a lot on your shoulders. But God just freed me there and said, "Nah, you don't have anything to prove. 
you have an example to set. And that is what carried me for the next five miles of just the most miserable run of my life. And then God answered the prayer that I prayed, God help, give me strength. And it's so amazing because he answered that prayer immediately, but I didn't get to see it for another five, 10 miles. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes the prayers get answered immediately, but it feels like it's been delayed. So do you want, do you want me to tell you what happened? Yeah. Yeah. That, that prayer part answer. Okay. So yeah. this is what happens. I have a coach from Idaho and she's a, a world championship level Ironman. And she is also a coach and she's also a breast cancer survivor. So she had flown out from Idaho for this race. She heard that I was in trouble. She tracked down my location because I was wearing a sport watch and it's the same watch that she used to train me uh, virtually. So she was able to track me down and she shows up at the next aid station and she brought her running shoes with her. She put on her running shoes and she started running next to me. She's running with me. And if that's not an illustration of faith, you know, the fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith and how difficult it is to go the distance. And we need people that are willing to run alongside of us. That's powerful. And it was necessary and intensely needed at that moment in my life. And so here's my coach running alongside me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a first time triathlete. She's a a seasoned vet. And so she starts troubleshooting with me and why nothing is absorbing through my gut lining. And she says, Jay, I brought this salt tablet. I want you to put it underneath your tongue. Then the sodium will get into your bloodstream faster and it'll it'll uh, balance things better in your body. And so I did what she told me to do. And, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of, of running with a salt tablet underneath my tongue. All of a sudden I felt it start to absorb. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm getting all the nutrients that I wasn't getting and I can drink water now. I have a chance to finish this race. God heard my prayer five miles ago. He he answered it. He got my coach working on it. You know, she gets the message, Jay's in, in trouble. She starts tracking me down. And at that moment, at this just the right time, as God often works, just the right time when I barely had the will to go any further. Here's my coach. She shows up. She runs alongside of me and she brings the solution. She saved my race. She really did. That is crazy. And at the timing of it, about over halfway, but around that two-thirds mark or so is typically a major, major problem when people are doing endurance events. Yes. Or if they're trying to run one mile super fast, like they'll get the first two laps in real good and then the third lap's problems. Yes. You get the third lap in, you can get the fourth one finished. But that uh, point at which the finish line is so far away that you can't really see it. Yeah. And, you know, so in endurance racing, it's, it's interesting because people will think, oh, he only has 20 miles to go. He's getting close because you're, you're the past the two thirds mark, right? So, oh, you're so close. But for the athlete, you're like, I still have 20 miles to go. That means I've already gone 120 miles and 20 20 running miles, miles. not close. Yeah. Yeah, 20 running miles is way different than biking. This is, these are hard miles. Yeah. Cause if you're watching somebody competing, Put yourself in their shoes and just just think to yourself like, oh, I need to go run 20 miles. You're nowhere close to the end, right? That's a long run. So anyway, yeah, uh, things change, but I still had a, a good way to go. I had a, a good distance that I still needed. I was to doing go. a half marathon once. I never got loosened up before the race. I was tight and mm. in pain when they said go. 
And I got about two thirds of the way done and I'm like, like contemplating, like my body can still move. However, it hurts <laughs> so bad. Yeah. And I passed my dad. My dad goes, all right, I've been here for a while. I'm going to go ahead and take off now. <laughs> I said, no, absolutely Thanks, dad. not. He's like, no, you got this. I'm like, I don't like, <laughs> you don't know where my, my head is at right now. It is in a really bad space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's something that, that people say along the way, you got this, you got this. And every time I just thought, no, I, I really don't. I don't have a chance if God doesn't carry me. If I don't have people carrying my burdens and if God doesn't demonstrate his power through me, I do not have this. My body, where it's at right now, it's beyond me. It's beyond. And it's uh, super sweet. And anybody that's listening to this that said that to me, thank you. I took it as encouragement. I knew you were saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm cheering you on. I believe in you. So that's the way I took it. But, you know, and just thinking about boasting in my weaknesses, I didn't have it. I didn't have it. My only hope was that. God was calling me to something and he would, he would be the one to carry me through. And he did. Yeah. We just had R.A. Dickey on. He won the Cy Young in 2012 and he's talking to his kids about doing hard things and you know, how, how much they can accomplish and all that type stuff. And he's like, you know, the answer is I can't accomplish big stuff Yeah, without God. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. you know, I got this and I'm strong and all this. He's like, it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we are weaker than we'd like to admit. It's it's just true. All of us are weaker than we'd like to admit. We we want to put on the the facade and the face like, oh, I'm strong, I got this. But the truth is we're we're weaker than we'd like to admit. However, once we admit it, then we're positioned to be stronger than we could ever imagine. Stronger than we could ever imagine. But it, it starts with admitting I'm weak. It's just the reality of of being human, being alive, being a person, being mortal. I'm weak. But once once you're willing to admit that, then all of a sudden you open your you open yourself up to help, to letting other people come alongside you, carry those burdens, and you open your, yourself up to the power of God being demonstrated through you. And that's a powerful position. Yeah, I've got a friend and he said somebody recently spoke into his life and let him know that he was pushing people away by being short with the answers, non-responsive, things like that. And he sent me this note and he's like, Hey, I just want to let you know I'm sorry. He goes, you were one of these people that I was that way with. And I said, well, I'm so glad that you heard, you had somebody speak that into you and I'm glad you were able to receive it. I'm glad they said it in a way that you could receive it. And I go, I'm not concerned about me. Uh, I do accept your apology. However, I've observed the same behavior and I've been wanting to tell, tell you, however, I didn't have the time and the space and the, I never, I didn't feel like you'd receive it from me. So, um, yeah, that, that message of, as you're going through life and there's struggle coming your way, uh, talk to some people, you know, build your team around you. Uh, people care about you. Uh, John O'Leary talks about, you know, why me and who cares and all this struggle that goes on. And he's like, no, really, who cares? Like there are people that care, look for them. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to the negative aspect of that, of who cares? Like, and I'm strong and I'll do this all by myself. Like that's a hard, hard road. So accept Christ and, you know, have the Holy Spirit help and invite others in. Yeah. And and you pointing out your your friend pushing people away. This is this is something that has been revealed to me. It was the scariest thing to write in the book because to put it into print was a terrifying thing for me to do. And and this is what I'm I'm speaking of. Okay, it's one thing to run 140 miles 
in 14 hours, swim, bike, run. Um, but it's another thing to admit that you're weak to other people on a daily basis to become vulnerable. And I realized through this that I hated admitting that I was weak so much so that I was hiding that part of myself and it was pushing people away, especially those that are closest to me, my family. And so I had to come to a realization that, hey, if if I'm not willing to let Natalie and Hero see me weak, see me not have it put together, see me say, I, I'm sorry, I'm being defensive right now. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that, but I keep falling back into that or just say, I need help. I, I don't know the way forward and um, and I need some some help around me. If I'm not willing to let those walls fall down, then I'm pushing away the people that I love the most. And so I decided after finish, finishing Iron Man, uh, I decided, okay, all the energy that I put into Iron Man, I want to put that into my family life, my marriage and being a dad to be able to deeply connect with Natalie and Hero. I want deep connection because I, I had lived so long of having this facade of strength. It caused some distance, you know, from the outside, I look like a great dad and a, and a great husband and to a certain extent, yes. But when it really comes down to the stuff that matters, when it comes down to that deep connection that you only experience with your spouse and your close family, your, your, your kids, your, bro- your brothers and sisters, that kind of stuff. I, I was not allowing that connection to go deep enough. And so uh, that's what I've been working on since finishing the race. You know, a lot of people ask me like, oh, are you doing more races? And I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. I don't have time because I got a bigger, I got a bigger race in front of me, a bigger challenge in front of me. And Natalie helped me see that, you know, I was doing this for Hero. I wanted to show her what resilience looks like. And she said to me, she said, Jay, you're letting Hero see this from a distance, but what about up close? How are you going to do that? And so at the finish line, I gave Hero a journal and I had a matching one and it was a growth mindset journal. It's basically to help kids learn how to be resilient. And we, we worked through that journal. And when I, when I ask Hero now, Hero, what was your favorite part of this whole Ironman process? Um, her, her answer is that gift. I love that you gave me a present at the finish line. Now, part of it is she was four years old and four-year-olds love to get gifts, but it also has served as a, as a wonderful bonding tool for Hero and myself. And uh, that's what I'm working on things like that. A lot of daddy-daughter adventures and things like that, where we're just, we're doing resilient, we're doing hard things shoulder to shoulder and building resilience that way. And in the process of doing hard things, she, she gets to see me weak. And as I'm still, you know, living life with this illness, there's plenty of times that she sees me weak. And instead of pushing her away, I've got to allow her to see that, but also know that through the power of Jesus, I'm getting back up. I'm not staying down. As long as Jesus empowers me, I'm going to get up time and time again and let her see that. Buddy of mine, he uh, was getting ready to go on a mission trip quite a while ago. And uh, he, the guy says, it was an odd question he thought, but he answered it. The guy says, hey, are you the perfect missionary? And oddly, he says, yes, I am. He's like, where'd that come from? Why did I say that? And then the next question was, well, what makes you the perfect missionary? And he goes, when I fall down, I get back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, where'd that come from? He goes, I have no idea. That's just what came out of my mouth. And I'm like, absolutely. Uh, you know, we do fall, we do fail. And from that, 
we can recover, get back up and get stronger. Um, yeah. And, oh. and with that and boasting in our weaknesses, that's not like, because your friend's awesome and he's so strong that like, Oh, you can hit me and I'll get up again and again. It, it's really just recognizing, Oh, the, the resurrecting power of Jesus lives in me. And so I can trust that power will, will help me get back up again. And so one of the, one of the things uh, that I talk about in the book is every morning when I train, I would ask God for strength. And then I'd put two feet on the ground and I'd get up out of bed. And so part of it is acknowledging, God, I need you to work your power through my life. Give me strength. And then I'm going to trust you by putting my feet on the ground and and standing up, which that imagery has always struck me through the gospels of Jesus healing and saying, get up and walk. And there's got to be that moment where the people that he healed think, but what if I put my feet on the ground and get up and I don't get up or I only get halfway up and I fall. All these people are looking at me. There's a moment of trust and it's scary, but we we do have to say, God, give me strength. And we've got to put our feet on the ground and we've got to get up. Whether you're a missionary, whether you're trying to run an Ironman, whether you're trying to get closer to your, your wife and daughter, you got to put your feet on the ground and you got to get up. Yeah, you were talking and it reminded me of Romans 5, 4, which is also in the book where Paul reminds us struggles produce endurance, character, and hope, everything we need to face our next hardship with more resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you know the, the interesting thing about that uh, reaction, how one thing builds to another, is it, it ends with hope. And it, it almost seems like, oh, it starts with hope. If you have hope, then you'll get back up. But the, the truth of the matter is hope is really difficult. It is hard to find hope to say, and my, my easy definition of hope is there are still good things coming. There are still good things to come. And of course, yes, there's also difficult things to come, but there are good things to come. And that's hard to do when you're really down and you're really out. But when you've created this rhythm of, okay, I don't have it within me, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to put my feet on the ground. I'm going to get up. When you've seen that happen enough times, that builds hope. And that becomes key when things get really difficult, really difficult. And those two prayers where I, I prayed and said, God, what you know? What are you doing and how can I join you? That was not the first time I prayed those prayers. I, I'd prayed those prayers since I was in college. I went through an, the Experiencing God workbook and that's where I learned those prayers. And I used it in ministry as a pastor. You know, I was always looking around, God, where are you working in my congregation? Where are you working in the community? Uh, where are you working in this world? And then how can I join you in those things? So these two prayers were not just in crisis. These two prayers were a lifestyle. And that type of prayer life, I believe, builds hope so that when you get hit hard with something, you turn to God. You don't turn away from him. You turn to him and you ask him the same questions because you know he's working. You've seen it enough times. You have hope that he's still at work because you've seen it. Yeah. One thing uh, I loved in your book was being grateful was your intention on race day. Mm-hmm. And that really, for me, when I do that, like that's a big part of my life is just being grateful for everything, no matter how challenging it is that shows up in my life. And once I can figure out a way to be grateful for it, it becomes easier. Yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, followers of Jesus do not have the the market, the corner of the market on gratitude, right? It's, it's kind of something that, that a lot of people talk about. However, one insight that, that I gained through all of this, uh, Nehemiah 10, 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And, you know, there's, there's a lot of books, a lot of good books, a lot of good stuff in there that says choose joy. In my particular circumstances, I couldn't choose joy. I tried, believe me. Like I, like I went through that. I, I remember that saying, I know there's a lot of books on it. A lot of mature believers uh, ascribe to that. But for me in that situation, I could not choose joy. But when I realized that gratitude is the gateway to joy, I, I could be grateful. In my suffering, I could find things to be grateful for, which is another thing that sometimes uh, pastors do a disservice to their people when they talk about uh, suffering and rejoicing in suffering. We may make it sound like you need to you need to be grateful for the suffering when that's not what the scriptures are teaching us. They're they're teaching us that even while you're suffering, still rejoice. There are still things to rejoice for even when you're suffering. You don't have to pretend that you're thankful and grateful for the the trials that you're going through, but while you go through those trials, still rejoice. And so I found, especially on race day, when when my focus was on knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength and knowing that that gratitude is the gateway to that joy, I just practice gratitude all day. Even even when things turn south on me, when things turned south, I started going, okay, I'm grateful for the other difficult things that I've gone through, that I've survived. Because if I've survived that, and this is bad, but it's not as bad as that, I can keep going. I can keep going. So for the most part, in the beginning of the race, for the first 120 miles, I was like, oh God, I'm grateful for my friends that came out. Oh, what a beautiful day, this ride. I'm grateful for this beautiful bike ride that I'm on. Oh God, I'm grateful that you know I'm still feeling good. So it's all that kind of stuff. And then when things turned on me and I didn't think I was going to finish the race, but I wanted to keep going to be able to authentically say to my daughter, I gave it my all. I started thinking about uh, Mount Whitney. So I, I hiked Mount Whit- Whitney and got elevation sickness and had no choice but to keep going because I had to get down from the mountain. And that was torturous. And it felt worse than I was feeling on that run. So I'm like, okay, if I did that. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I made it through that and I'm going to keep going. And I had a, a handful of, of things like that that I could be grateful for. And the joy of the Lord, it carried me. It carried me. And so as followers of Jesus, not only do we practice gratitude, but we know and we hope and we have trust that as we practice gratitude, that gratitude is going to open up the joy of the Lord in our hearts and we will have real strength. We really will have more endurance, more perseverance because of that joy that comes from gratitude. So through this process, uh, helping your daughter, growing with your daughter, guiding, leading your daughter, resilience, faith, what are some things that you do day to day, week to week, month to month that that you've done and maybe things you're looking forward to, to help kind yeah. of put that in so concrete? It started with the Big Life Journal. That's the the name of the yeah. growth mindset journal. And so we'd We'd go out. I just I sent a note to that company and said, you know, who do you got that's a Christian over there? Like, I want to interview one of you. Yeah, the, it, it was fantastic. And so I'd try and make that special. We would do daddy daughter dates where I just tried to make it, you know, special between her and I. And, uh, but we'd always have time for journaling. And, and soon enough, she was asking for it, you know, started with, hey, you want to go? You want to go to, you know, Chick fil A and, and journal for a while? And then it was, hey, dad, when are we going to do this? Uh, so that's where it started. And then um, Tuesday, she gets out of school early. And so I decided, okay, well, Tuesday is going to be daddy daughter adventure, where we're going to go do some stuff that um, might be a little scary, might be a fir- all first time things. 
I want to help her try new things because oftentimes kids don't want to try something that they're not sure they're good at. And so I'm trying to teach her like, no, you've got to, you've got to try before you get good. So it's okay to start from the bottom and, and build up from that. So that's everything from like, we, we go on hikes or in the mall, there's a, an airsoft uh, yeah, shooting yeah. range where you can just shoot targets and we'll go do that um, to, you know, my, my friend's got a, a pool with those like big rocks on the side, you know, one of those beautiful oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. tropical thing. And we'll go over there and jump off rocks and into the water. And, and now that has built up this, this new attitude in her. And now she's uh, today, she'll be at wrestling practice. She's now eight years old and she is wrestling like with the varsity wrestling coach. It's co- he's got a, a elementary school kid. And so he's coaching his son and she's right in there with a group of like 10 elementary school kids. And so I go to, I go to, um, to practice and wh- what I've learned, learned with my daughter, I'm sure every kid's different. Um, but if I try and coach her at all on something like that, shuts me down, just shuts me down. But if after I say, Hey, can you, can you teach me that? She's all in and it's a lot of fun and it, and it's authentic as well, because I don't know how to wrestle. Like it's I said, right. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a varsity athlete. I didn't, I didn't wrestle in high school. And so these, these moves that she's learning, she's actually teaching to me and it, they're awesome. Her coach is so good, you know, cause it's not too often that you find like a wrestling coach or a jujitsu coach who knows his stuff and is good with kids. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah. he is that combination. And so anyway, so I just make sure that I'm at her practices and that I follow up in a way that's not pushy, but a way that's bonding. So anyway, yeah, stuff like that. It's funny as I learn things along the way, like sports or whatever, and I coach a softball team and I show my daughter something. She's like, yeah, I know that or whatever. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. You know that I actually just learned that. Like I just learned it and I figured I should give it away real quick. That way I could reinforce my learning you know, things like that. But yeah, admitting the things you don't know, or admitting you just learned them and showing that vulnerability that as dads, we don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going back to what I'm talking about. Like I've I've got to reveal that weakness in me. If I pretend like, oh, I know everything and I'm going to teach you how to do this. um, It, it creates divide, but when I'm willing to, to show weakness and to admit, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know this. Then it creates that bond that I'm looking for. I'm working so, so diligently to have that and to enjoy it. And that's just a very simple, practical application of what that looks like. With chemo and everything, you, you know, have to share things with your wife along the way. Mm. You just have to. Mm-hmm. How have you grown into accepting, sharing your physical and mental vulnerabilities with her, weaknesses with her? Uh, how did you learn how strong she is and her ability to, to be there for you. Like, is there anything in that that we can take from, from your journey? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's common, uh, especially among men, but you want to protect your family from this. You're, you're more worried for them than for you. And, um, what I thought I was doing by protecting Natalie, by not telling her some things, not allowing her to go to appointments with me, Okay. So yeah, you're, I, nor- you're a normal guy. Got it. Yeah, I right, hear you loud right? and clear. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was, I thought I was protecting her, but what I was doing is I was pushing her away and I was hurting her. And one of the things I write about in the, in the book is, 
she would want to go to appointments with me, but I didn't want to bother her. I didn't want to take her time. I didn't want her to stress about it. And if I got bad news, I wanted a chance to process it before going to her because I didn't want her, I didn't want my emotions to hurt her. Um, so I was, I was trying to protect her. And then I had a friend, an older gentleman, one of those, you know, fathers in the faith. Um, he came to me and he said, Jay, you should never go to an appointment alone. You know, all this information, you're flooded with emotion. You need somebody there with you. And he said, and I'm going to go to every appointment with you. And I let him, I let him go. And he was so helpful. It's so awesome. And then it wasn't until after looking back, writing this book really is what, what brought my awareness to it. I'm like, oh my goodness, what it must be like to be Natalie and have her husband say, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to stress you out. You, you stay here. And then take the help of a, another person when she wanted to be there for me. And I just thought, oh, I got to, I got to allow her to just be her. And it, it takes me back to when I, um, this isn't in the book, but this is just something that I, I yeah. remember. Um, when I, when I asked her to marry me, I, um, I freaked out and it wasn't like that, like typical, like commitment, you know, fear of commitment. It was, it's my responsibility to take care of her now. I can barely take care of myself. How, like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And it's very similar with, with parenting. I had to go through this with both. Um, but uh, young, I was a young man, excited to get married and freaked out at the same time. And so I went to a professor of mine. He was a, a therapist and a psychology professor. And I said, hey, why, if I'm so excited to get married, why am I also freaking out? And I told him like, you know, I'm worried about not being able to take care of him. And he goes, Jay, do you think that God is just going to stop taking care of her because you're married to her. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, God's done a great job to this point. And I don't think he's going to abdicate that to me. He's, he's smarter than that. And that freed me. Okay. God's, God's got her. And then I had this, this mountaintop experience. Like literally I was, I was out uh, snowboarding and I had this amazing moment where I just, I asked God very directly. I said, God, if, if I leave this earth early, will you take care of my family? And I, and I said, I said, not like, you know, just kind of like vaguely, like you take care of the whole yeah, world, but yeah. like, would, would you treat her like you're my best friend? And I said to my best friend, take care of my wife. W will you treat her with that much concern? And it, it's a long story again, also in the book. Um, but the, the end result is he convinced me I'm already doing it. I'm already there and I will continue to be there. And so, yeah, that, that's been helpful to say like, she, she's strong. Yes, she's weak, but with God, she, she's strong, same as me. And I don't need to protect her from that. And so now I'm, I'm hoping that she has seen uh, progress in that because I'm trying, I'm trying to, to let her know exactly what I know when I know it and let her be there with me because she, she's amazing. She is so caring. I have such a kind and caring wife, so compassionate. That's the type of person you want there with you if you do get bad news. That's the type of person you want there with you when you don't know what to think about everything that's happening to you. And uh, it took me a while to, to figure that out. And I'm still learning. This is a journey for me. This is the new journey. Iron Man, great. But deep connection with my wife and daughter, that's, that's truly what I'm here for. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing to study your wife, study your kids, and figure out a way to 
have a deeper connection with them. So whether it's wrestling or playing with dolls or, you know, watching a show that doesn't make any sense to you with them, whatever it is, immerse yourself in it. And I I love that. Teach me something is that really, you know, when you learn, when you teach someone else something or when they teach you something, you connect in a deeper way. So that's great. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation. I came from a family where the relationships weren't strong. What was modeled to me was was not good. And so I have to learn these things. This is all learning and, and it's not intuitive. It's not natural. And so I'm back to this point of this in a position. Do you ever ever find yourself defaulting back to the uh, childhood, you know, way of operating? Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, and as a result, I, I'm a big, big advocate of, uh, of therapy counseling uh, and so I see my my therapist. We talk about it all the time. Why do I do this? So something my wife wonders often. Why, why does he do this? And a lot of it is, yeah, just rebounding to like how I survived in my household, what I saw in my household. It seems so and weird it, to me, a guy like yourself, you know, adjusted, you know, pastor, you've all kinds of people bringing their problems to you and you help them figure it out and pray and all the stuff and God's with you. And then like, there's a little glitch in the system where you default back to, you know, not that I had the perfect childhood, but mine was pretty good. Mine, mine isn't that typical, you know, horrible, you know, abusive alcoholics and all that stuff. Mine, mine wasn't that way, but, uh, some friends of mine that had that every once in a while, they'll do something that's a little bit out of character for them. And mm. I haven't known them when they were in that old space. I know them in their new, new operating system. And when they operate out of the old one, it throws me for a loop for a second. I got to remind myself, Hey, they're still working yeah. on something. There's still something that hasn't, hasn't ironed itself out yet. Yeah. And, and strength has to pass through weakness. And so I've got to allow myself to say like, okay, this is a weakness for me where I've come from the programming that I've had, the the modeling that I've had, especially when it comes to marriage and parenting, like I don't have it all together. I have so much to learn, but once I admit that and I allow people to come around me, not only do I have a professional therapist, but I also have men that I meet with on a, on a monthly basis that are asking good questions. Not only that, but I have peers, I have good guy friends that we talk about these things. Once I'm able to say like, okay, I don't, I don't have this figured out. Then I, I invite in help, which is what, what all of us need to do. Right. So this isn't the thing about the book is it's not a memoir. It really is a playbook for Christian living, for resilient living. And yes, it it follows this one particular journey, but it's the pieces that we pull from it, the truths and principles that that we can pull through it, pull from it, that applies in so many areas of life, family life, work life, uh, interpersonal life, spiritual life. Um, And I'm seeing it right now as I'm trying to apply all of this to family life. It's like, yeah, same thing. I got to I got to say, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm if I'm capable of this. I need to allow people to help me. I need to to admit this to my family, and I need to just keep going. And when I when I go back to that old operating system, when there's that glitch, I need to say, "All right, God, pick me up, give me strength, give me hope, give me that hope." And I'm going to put my feet on the ground, and I'm going to go again. I'm I'm not giving up on this. I'm going to keep working. And uh, you know, in the book, that's the scary part where where I met where I I lay that out. And I say, it's, it's up to them to decide. It's up to Natalie and Hero at the end of life, whenever that may be, to look back and go, he did it. Or better yet, God did it through him. God transformed the weaknesses that we saw, that he allowed us to see, 
And man, God worked his good work, his sanctifying work. And man, God allowed us to connect deeply. That's really for them to decide. And it's a scary place to be. Yeah, for sure. Have you got any um, uh, additional things that you want to bring up that we haven't talked about yet? Something that may be good for the guys. And then we always like to end off with a challenge, something that they can do week to week. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things that is on my mind and heart and something that God is just allowing me to help others with is the power of exercise. For me, this, this nudge from the Holy Spirit to do Ironman, it also coupled with just my gratitude that I could move because one of the possible side effects to those two brain surgeries is I could have been paralyzed. And so I'm, I'm on this long grueling run in my training sessions and I go, but I can do this. My body can do this. And I'm feeling these endorphins. So even though I'm running and I'm, I'm fatigued and I've got a headache and I'm nauseous as I'm exercising, all of a sudden there's these new endorphins that are kicking in that are overriding those miserable feelings. And way back when, when my dad passed away very suddenly, when I was in my twenties, I had a, a big bout of depression and it wasn't until a friend of mine said, Hey, we need to start lifting weights. It was lifting weights, getting in the gym, that that's what pulled me out of that depression. And so I just want to say to guys, if you're struggling, whether it's like, I don't know how deep the crisis is, I don't care. But if you if you feel like you're struggling right now, exercise, exercise, that's a big first step. And then I know I, I get it. Like if you're depressed, it's hard to get out of the, get out of bed. It's hard to accomplish anything, brush your teeth, whatever. And so even not depressed people have a hard time finding the willpower to get to the gym or go for a run. Um, but I was just talking with a, with a buddy of mine. He's going through it. And I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm in the gym every morning at 6 a.m. Be there tomorrow. And knowing that I was there, he showed up, which was very similar. When I was, when I was first diagnosed and I first started training on that first day of radiation and chemo, I had a friend that would drive an hour to meet me at the gym to make sure I got there. And so now as I come across friends that are struggling, I'm like, I'm in the gym, be there. And so I've got this little group that's growing and I'm considering, I'm considering in the new year, um, starting to go live on Instagram every morning as I'm heading to the gym, just to say, Hey, I'm here with you. We're in it together. And I'll see you tomorrow morning at six as well. And just on my drive in, I'm going to, I'm going to do an Instagram live just to, to cheer people on that. Hey, we got out of bed. This is a good day. You know, even a bad workout's better than no workout. And we're making a lot of distance just by exercising. So I, I guess that's the challenge of if you're if you're barely hanging on right now, pray and ask God for strength. Put your feet on the ground, get up and move. You gotta move. Exercise. Allow your body to do what it was designed to do and get out into nature and connect with God that way. It will heal your soul. So I wanna I wanna give that, I wanna give that challenge. And then also the other thing is as followers of Jesus, we must be bold enough to look at our obstacles just dead in the eye and say there's opportunity in there because God works all things for the good of those who love him. He doesn't cause all these bad things, but whatever comes our way, he will work it for our good. And so we need to be bold enough, courageous enough, resilient enough to stare that obstacle down. Whatever is the biggest thing in your life right now that's standing in the way of you and whatever you hope to accomplish look at that obstacle and say, I know there's an opportunity in there. I know God is working within those obstacles. Now also realize it's most likely in your heart and your soul, most likely it's sanctifying work, which 
is what I experienced. Yes, I did Ironman. Yes, I was able to say to my daughter, hold on to the hope of Jesus, get up, stay strong. If I can do it, you can do it because anything's possible with God. Yes, Ironman was part of it. But as I've been talking about, there's been this huge work in my heart and my soul to something much deeper. But the challenge is you don't know what the opportunity is going to be, but you got to look for it. And when God opens your eyes to see it, trust him and go for it. No matter how scary it is, go for it. That's so good. So a buddy of mine asked me the other day, says, what are you doing that you're, what are you not doing that you're afraid to do? If you push past your fear that you do it, I said, well, it'd be creating a course. Like I've interviewed all these great guys and I could take some of this knowledge and distill it down into something and give that away and make it evergreen. So guys can just get, get to it, get to it, get to it. Like I do that. It's like, what's keeping you back? Hmm. Well, a whole bunch of things, but (laughs) he's like, are you going to do it? Like, yeah. 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 I want to take it. I want you to do it. I want to learn from you, man. I'll sign up for that course. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So it's so funny how things like that come along in life and then people respond in a way that encourages you to keep going. So thank you for that. That was really cool, Jay. Yeah. Thanks, and something man. that I wanted to read today that I haven't so far, but you, you encouraged me. So you guys may have heard this before. So do you not know that in a race, all runners run? but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Mm. Oh, every time I read that, I get chills and I get fired up and I want to go take the hill, climb the mountain, tackle the enemy, whatever it is. Yeah, do it, man. If I can do it, you can do it. Yes, yes, absolutely. So he throws out a physical challenge for you guys and I didn't encourage him to do that. You guys know that I think working out is such a key and if you can build community around the working out part, it's so great. Guys that want to work out but won't, if you just say, hey, man, you want to come hang out? Yeah. Throw a few weights around, do a few exercises, like, you know, we'll talk a little bit. Guys will do that. And once you do that, they'll start opening up to you and you can gain that deeper, closer friendship with other men. I think that is such a key. And sometimes it's tough to go, hey, you want to come to my Bible study with me, guys? <laughs> hey, you want to come work out? Hey, you want to go hike? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And yeah. then once you once you meet them where they're at, and start taking them to the next step on the journey, they'll start opening up and you can have deeper relationships with other guys. So I found that to be a huge key. Uh, part of my journey is uh, F3 Nation. You can go to F3Nation.com and find communities of guys that are getting together, doing hard things. And through that, they're sharing their struggles with others. And yeah. you know, oftentimes there's a whole lot of Christians in those groups too. The uh, founder's a Christian his name's Dread, and he was on a couple previous episodes, so you can check out the founder of F3. So, Jay, dude, thank you so much. This book is so, so cool because it talks about you know the struggles we have. It talks about moments of your weakness, what you've learned. Add the fact that you're a pastor, so you've got some of the coolest Bible verses that support principles and thoughts that maybe other guys have had, or they've had similar thoughts or theories. And we know all things come from the Bible. All good things come from the Bible. And then you've got the Bible verse supporting the thoughts right in it. And uh, you did a great job writing this book. 
Wow. Thanks, Dan. That means a lot. And yeah, you know, God created me to be a storyteller. That's how I got called to ministry, to tell the story of Jesus. And he created me to be a storyteller, and then he's given me the story to tell. So I'm just try- trying to steward that story the, the best I can. And, and I really hope that your audience gets the book and it really encourages them and that they grow closer to Jesus and do things they never thought they could do. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And you can pre-order it now, guys. Yes, it is. It is up. It is up. So uh, it'll, it'll ship sometime in the middle of November. So you'll get it really, really soon. Uh, Maybe a surprise for you when it comes in the mail. Ah, an early Christmas present. I like that. Yep. That's right. That's right. Well, Jay, it's been awesome having you on. You know, anytime you want to come back on, you're always welcome. Appreciate you sharing your story. And by the way, guys may be also asking, how's your health? How are you now? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a tricky question. So my, my disease, well, let me, good. I'm doing well. God is sustaining me every day. I'm not in remission. That's not how this thing works. Uh, I will never know if I'm cured, but I have hope that Jesus is doing miraculous things in my life and I'm seeing it. And even my my doctor, who's not a believer, he said, Jay, 0.001% of people outlive their prognosis. And what I'm seeing from you gives me no reason to believe that you're not going to be one of those 0.001 people. Wow. Praise God, praise Jesus. So things are going well. Things are going really well. It's a roller coaster, but things are going well. So please, if this if this conversation has touched you, pray for me. Pray for that's me. That's what I was going to ask. It matters. So just pray for complete healing. That's that's the one thing I'm asking people to pray for. Pray for complete healing, and let's see what the Lord does because we know He's capable and He is being good. He is being good to me. So join me in prayer for that. And the more people pray, it's not like uh, the more people that pray, like, oh, okay, God's got to do it now because he tipped the scales and this many people pray. No, it's just God gets more of the glory. When when we run into each other 10 years from now and you're like, hey, you're that guy. Um, and you see that God is still sustaining my life. Glory to God. You know, so the more people pray and the more glory goes to God. And so if you would pray for me that I'd experience complete healing, God uh, made the world to me. I'm glad you asked. It's in your book, Ask Others. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. So I'm glad you asked, because if you didn't, I was going to ask you what the specific prayer was that you'd like the guys to pray. I'm quite sure that many guys listening thought, gosh, I wish I could help Jay in some way. That's and awesome. then what follows next is, I don't know where he lives and you know what would I do and how could all the blah, blah, blah. And yeah. well, you could pray. Well, I want to do something more than pray. <laughs> well, that's number one. Yeah. Start there. It's amazing how God leads the next step. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So that was awesome. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. And guys, that's an encouragement to you to ask for prayers as well. And that's a a way of planting a seed too. So you may ask somebody that's a non-believer. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good point. So awesome, Jay. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, guys check out his book. I am weak. I am strong building a resilient faith for a resilient life. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate you, my man. Absolutely. You bet. Catch you guys soon. Check out next week and uh, and do the challenge. Go get out, do something active. And uh, if you want bonus points, grab a friend, grab a family member, grab a kid, do something hard, do something brave and daring. Yeah, let's go. All yeah. right, let's go. Let's go. God bless <laughs> you guys. Go take the hill this week. See everybody. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.